0: I'm sure we all know who that is, but I heard a story about him. He got on a train in Princeton, and the guy came by to check his ticket. And so Dr. Einstein reached into his vest pocket to pull out where he thought his ticket was. He reached in there, and there was no ticket. And so he checked his other pocket, and then he checked his briefcase, and then he checked the seat beside him. And he just could not find his ticket anywhere. And so finally the guy said, Dr. Einstein, that is totally okay. I know who you are. Don't worry about your ticket. I'm sure you'll find it at some point. I'm sure you bought one. And he went on down the aisle. And so a couple minutes later, he turned around and he saw the old scientist on his hands and knees looking everywhere, underneath the seat, everywhere he could think of to see if he could find that ticket. And so he went back to Dr. Einstein. He said, Dr. Einstein, that is okay. I told you, I know who you are. You don't need a ticket. And Einstein looked up at him and said, son, I, too, know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. Since the beginning of history, philosophers, poets, prophets, and people everywhere in between have been trying to answer three basic questions, the most three important and basic questions that life has to offer. One, where did we come from? Two, why are we here? And three, where are we going? And how you answer those questions, particularly that first one, is what we often call a person's world view. It's how we, we view the world around us and everything that happens in it. It's how, it's how we filter everything is through those three questions. And particularly that first question really sets things off. Now, there are some who choose a, a secular Mechanistic world view, in other words, that there is no God, there is no supernatural, that we're just simply here by random chance. And if that is your world view, if that's how you answer that first question in particular, then understand that you have inevitably answered the other two in a certain way as well. Because if the first question is that there is no God, that your answer to the first question is there is no God, there is no supernatural. We're just here by random chance. If that's the case, then there is no meaning, and we go nowhere after we die. We simply return back to dust. For example, here's what one article in a highly regarded science magazine called New Scientist had to say on these questions, particularly what is the meaning of life. Here's what the author said. The harsh answer is it has none, no meaning. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. When it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, and then they will die too. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon be forgotten. Humans will go extinct. Earth and sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end against this appalling reality. How can a human life have any meaning? Super uplifting, right? And I know that's uh, you know certainly depressing and despairing. But I at least appreciate the honesty of those who can, when they have that worldview, can say, "Yeah, that, that's the implications of that worldview that I have." Now there are some who push back against that that idea that if there is no God, there is no meaning, there is no purpose. But really, every argument falls short. And I would push back against. The secularist who wants to say, well, that's what I believe that I'm just a random clump of carbon, but life has meaning and we all ought to adhere to a certain moral sense of right and wrong. My question is, why? Why would we do that? I mean, if that's our worldview, then meaning and ought are off the table. They they, they don't serve any purpose if that's my worldview. If I answer that first question in that way, that we're just total random accidents. But we don't want to believe that, right? Even secularists, even atheists don't really truly want to believe that life has no meaning and no purpose. And I think there's a reason why. There's more than one reason why. But I think at the heart of the reason why is that I believe all human beings are made, first of all, in the image of God. And secondly, long ago, the teacher said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has set eternity in the human heart. I believe that's why when anthropologists study human uh, societies from the beginning of time until today, all the way up to, to what we're experiencing today, they always seem to have an innate sense of the hereafter. Now, it may differ in how we understand it, But there's always this innate sense that this life isn't all there is. There is something more. And so from a Christian worldview, I would answer those questions. One, where did I come from? I was created by God. Two, why am I here? What's my purpose? To live my life to the glory of God. And then three, where am I going? Well, I believe that one day I am going to meet God. And so what we're going to do in this series that we're starting today is we are going to explore that third question. What Is life after this life? Where are we going? What is waiting for us after this life? And we're going to begin just by looking at the words of Jesus, because if you think about it, if what we claim is true, that Jesus lived, that he died, and then he rose and he lives again, then who is more qualified to talk about here and the hereafter than Jesus himself? And here's one thing Jesus made very clear. Eternity is certain. There is no doubt about it. Eternity is certain. You see, Jesus did more than just preach values and morals or just a gospel of life advancement, how you advance in in life. He consistently urged people to live this life in view of the next life. And Jesus affirmed, All of the Bible's metaphors for the brevity of life and how short this life is. And so when you read through the Bible, you'll see all kinds of phrases or words that are used to describe the the nature of, of how long this life actually lasts. The Bible talks about words like vapor or shadow or breath or mist. All things that are gone in the blink of an eye, relatively speaking. And here's the thing. We can work out. Right. And we can have elective surgery. And we can do all kinds of things to try and put off death. But no matter how hard we try, no matter how fast we try to run away from death, death is always faster. Unless you are Elvis, you are going to die, right? That's just the reality of life. And so Jesus affirmed the brevity of life, but he also affirmed an existence after this life that is not brief. And he said that wise people recalibrate their priorities here, in this life, in light of the hereafter, in light of the next life. Now, there are more than a few verses that we could go to. We could actually spend just the rest of our time looking at verses. And we're going to look at several of them um, from, from Jesus. But I'm just going to start by giving you one from each gospel. We're going to get kind of a holistic view. So we start with Matthew. And in one of Jesus' very first sermons, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he ends a section called the Beatitudes with these words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And that verse in and of itself could be a sermon in in and of itself. But he goes on to say, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. And so Jesus is saying several things here. But one of the things he's saying is that you can endure, I can endure, we can endure a life of suffering and persecution and whatever this world may throw at us here because of the reward in the hereafter. Let's go to Mark chapter 12. So some religious leaders who did not believe in life after this life were testing Jesus, trying to stump Jesus. And so they set up this scenario of this woman who's not been married once or twice or three, seven times they set up this scenario. She's been married seven times. And they asked Jesus, so who is she going to be married to in the hereafter? And so here's how Jesus responds. Verse 24. He says, are you not in error or Here's your mistake, Jesus says. You don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven, at least in that regard. And we'll talk more about that. Now about the dead rising and the hereafter, basically, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. By the way, you are badly mistaken, Jesus says. And so as a side note, just in case you're wondering, not not a good idea to mock Jesus, okay? He, He kind of, Has a handle on things. Not a good idea to mock him. Uh, It's not going to turn out well. But notice what Jesus is saying. He says, it's not like I'm bringing new teaching here. From the very beginning. Go all the way back to the beginning of scripture. There is life after this life. Because God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. So go to Luke chapter Sin. Jesus has sent his disciples out on a mission trip they preach the gospel they heal the sick they're particularly excited that they can cast out demons and evil spirits and Jesus says to them in verse 20 don't don't rejoice I mean he's, he's not telling them don't rejoice in that but he's saying don't just rejoice in the fact that spirits submit to you here's what you really need to rejoice about that your names are written in heaven that's the big win Jesus says and then finally John chapter 5, Verse 24, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged or condemned, is probably a better word, but has already crossed over from death to life. Now we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about John chapter 5 and and, and some other verses there uh, in just a moment. But here's the big idea that I want us to get. Jesus consistently said that only a fool would not be living this life in light of the next. Only a fool would live just for this life with their eyes head down, focused on what this life has to offer. Only a fool would not live this life in light of the next. That we live here in view of the hereafter. And Jesus said three things, I think, in particular, especially about the hereafter. The first one is this. Everybody, everybody goes somewhere after here. Like, everybody goes somewhere after here. Everybody dies. Eternity is certain. And everybody goes somewhere after here. Now, one thing you have to admit about Jesus. He never adapted his theology to please people. Jesus never thought about saying something and then was like, you know... How are people going to respond? Because I might not want to say it this way. Jesus said the truth. Now, he spoke it in love, but he said the truth, and he did not adapt his theology just to make people happy. He did not compromise truth to avoid controversy. And that includes the way he answered the third question. And so what happens after this life? Well, back to John chapter 5, verse 28. Jesus says, don't be amazed or surprised at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear God's voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus is saying, listen, everybody is going to have a next life. But the next life won't be the same for everybody. You see, when it comes to eternity, Jesus didn't just preach half the truth. In so many of his parables about the next life, he describes it as being inaugurated by a separation. And so you have in Matthew chapter 13, he talks about wheat and tares and how they're going to be separated. Also in Matthew chapter 13, he talks about a net with good fish and bad fish in it and how they're going to be separated. In uh, Matthew chapter 25, he talks about sheep and goats and how they are going to be separated. Jesus was not unclear about this even if it makes us sometimes a little bit uncomfortable to think about no one talked about the possibility of life and eternity without God more than Jesus nobody now there are a lot of views and opinions in both ways on hell we're not going to talk about that this morning but what I will say this is that whatever hell is, God is not there. Whatever hell is, God is not there. And Jesus was very clear about that. And perhaps the reason Jesus talked more about it than anybody else is because he knew better than anybody else and truly understood the horror of being abandoned and forsaken by God. And listen, I get it. Hell, even to say the word hell is not fun, right? It's not fun to talk about it. It's not fun to listen to it. But Jesus consistently taught that every single person has an appointment with God in the hereafter. And there will be no excused absences. And only a fool would live out of line with that truth. But Jesus also taught that it's an appointment that can be anticipated with excitement. And so yes, everybody goes somewhere, but here's the good news. Anybody can go to hereafter with God. Anybody. So when Calvin Coolidge was uh, vice president, he was presiding over the uh, over debate in the Senate, and the Senate got rather heated, and one of the senators said to another, you can go straight to, I'll let you fill in the blank. And the offended senator turned to Coolidge, and he said, did you hear that? And Coolidge looked up and said, actually, I've been reading the rule book, and it says that you don't have to go. You see, Jesus came to reveal that God is for us. God is for us, for all of us. I hope we, maybe we, we hear it so often that, you know, things that we hear a lot sometimes lose their luster. I hope you never lose the wonder of the reality of John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. And perhaps my fir- favorite, I mean, there's a lot of great words in this verse. But perhaps my favorite one is so that whoever, whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, it's interesting. Christianity today is often criticized as being too exclusive, Right? you're too exclusive, and, and, and what you say is right or wrong, and you know how we... Now, obviously, that gets misportrayed in a lot of ways, and we're not going to get into that, but Christianity today is often, my point is, often criticized as being too exclusive, which is funny, because in Jesus' day, one of the biggest criticisms, criticisms he got is that he was too inclusive, right? That people that, that they didn't think should be let in, they're letting in. That there was room in his movement, in his house, for anyone at the table that was hungry for God. Are you a tax collector? You can come to the table. Are you a prostitute? You can come to the table. Are you a Samaritan? You can come to the table. It didn't matter your ethnicity, your background, your past track record. Anybody hungry for God is welcome at the table. And perhaps no one understood this better than a man we now call Paul, but who in his earlier days was called Saul. And in those early days, he was so against the Jesus movement that he dedicated his life to the torture, persecution, and death of followers of Jesus. Talk about something you don't want on your resume when you meet God. But Jesus met Saul and he invited him to the table. And the man we now call Paul, who wrote most of our or much of our New Testament, wrote these words in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. We are made right with God, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. You know why that's true? Because there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. Isn't that a beautiful reality to think about? There is more grace in God than there is sin in you. Verse 23, he goes on to say, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. You see, the great question for our future, for your future, is not how much did you sin. Although that's what a lot of people think, right? And so they, they think that, that as long as they're good enough, then that's good enough, right? As long as I didn't sin as, most, as much as most people, then, you know, I, I, there's a scale here. And I gotta, as long as I get the passing grade, right, then I'm, I'm going to be in good shape. But the question is not how much did I sin? How much did you sin? the great question for your future is how much did you trust God's answer for your sin. Jesus put it like this in John chapter 8. And he pulled no punches. Pulled no punches. He said, I told you that you would die in your sins. You will die in your sins. But here's also the reality. If you don't believe that I am he, that I am the one who I said I am, then you will indeed die in your sins. Now the opposite is also true that because of him, we don't have to die in our sins. But if you don't believe that, then you will indeed die in your sins. Again, as I said earlier, Jesus didn't adapt truth to fit people's agendas or to, 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 you know, it's not that he didn't care about your feelings, but he just, listen, he's not going to compromise the truth to make you happy. He said that everybody will go somewhere from here. That anybody can have a hereafter with God. But Jesus also made it clear that nobody goes to God without Him. Absolutely nobody. You remember the night before Jesus died? And he's, He goes to the garden and He's praying and He's begging God to just reveal if there is any other way, Father, if there's any other way than for me to go to a cross, to bring salvation and healing and restoration. Let that be. But in the end, of course, we know there was no other way. That's why, one of the reasons why I think Jesus would find it so offensive that, that people claim that he is just a way, right? Why would God let Jesus go to a cross if that's just a way to get to him? No, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And notice, unlike other religious leaders, Jesus doesn't just say, I came to show you a way or I came to tell you about a way. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm how you get right with God. And he made this claim consistently that a person's eternal destiny depends on whether they believe and accept what he said he came to do. Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is and that he came to do what he said he came to do. No one is going to go to heaven on their own. None of us. Because everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only bridge that can reach God is made of blood-stained wood. That's why he came. You know, I find it, I mean, I don't want to discount the question, but, and you've probably heard it before, people will say, How can a loving God send people to hell? Maybe you've asked that question. And so I don't want to illegitimize that question. It's a real question. But I would say I don't believe that God sends people to hell as much as they get there on their own. By their own choice, by walking right past the cross and the way that God has made to keep them away from hell. So back to our question, where do we go after we die? The answer is, it depends. It depends. It depends on what you believe about Jesus. Not on how good or bad you are. It depends on what you believe about Jesus. And are you acting on that? John said this in 1 John chapter 5. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You said, you can go to hell all on your own. But you can't go to heaven without Jesus. And he came here to take our place so that we could have a place with God in the hereafter. And Jesus was very clear. About this. He says in John chapter 6, verse 40 My Father's will, this is my Father's will. And Jesus, as, as we talked about, it, he's praying in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' will is the Father's will. Here's the Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. And that is our confident hope. As Christians, that is our confident hope. And that's why the most important question is what do you believe about Jesus? Because eternity is certain. But here's also some more good news. That because of Jesus, you can be certain of your eternity. Through Jesus, we can have this certainty that we will spend our hereafter with God. Earlier, I told you the story about Albert Einstein, how he couldn't find his ticket, and he's worried about not who he was, but where he was going. So I heard another story about an old preacher who told that story about Einstein. And when he had finished telling the story, he said to the congregation, I, I don't know how many of you have noticed, um, but this is a new suit that I'm wearing. And he didn't know how many days he had left. He was getting right at the end of, uh, of his life. And he said, this new suit I'm wearing, I, I just bought it. And it's the first time I have ever worn this suit and I will only wear it one more time. It's the suit I will be buried in. And if you see me in that suit again, I want you to know this. I know who I am. And I know where I'm going. We're going to talk a lot about heaven. I'm excited about this series. I hope some of you are as we explore some of these things. We're going to talk a lot about heaven and what it's like over the next several weeks. But I wanted to start our series right here. Because the most important thing about heaven is not what. It's not what. It's who. Who do you believe Jesus is? And have you surrendered your life to him? I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died to pay for my sins and he died to pay for your sins. And I believe that because of him, I have a way to live with God forever. And that's what God wants for you. None of us is going to outrun death. It's not if, it's when. And then we will meet God. And I don't know about you, but I want to meet God with Jesus standing next to me. And I'll tell you what, you do too.